Welcome to Strong Runner Chick Radio, a leading online community where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners across the world. We believe in healthy running, fueling, and embracing our strength as female distance runners inside and out. Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, Strong Runner Chicks. I think this is an episode you are going to love. Before we get to the show, let me introduce Dr. Ellie Summers. She writes, I am an athlete, a licensed physical therapist, and a fierce advocate for better care, particularly for women. I am tired of the status quo and am actively seeking to defy gender limitations and biases in healthcare and fitness. My hope is to empower, foster autonomy and fearlessness, and to help people discover resilience through the healing process. Elle also owns a business in Seattle, Washington, called Sisu Sports and Performance, and PT, where she focuses on work with female athletes and runners. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review in iTunes, and please let us know. We would love to hear your feedback, and we are open to any suggestions that you have, as well as future guests you'd like to see. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks. Welcome to another episode of Strong Runner Chick Radio. Today we have with us Dr. Ellie Summers, who is a um, physical therapist who we are very excited to have uh, on board with us for today's episode. She'll be here to answer questions relating to injury, um, empowerment, strength training, and a variety of other questions that you listeners had for us. So we are so excited to welcome you to the show. Um, Yeah, Without further ado, thank you, Dr. Ellie. Um, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really pumped to be here. So we're super happy to have you. Um, I have to ask, have you been on any podcasts recently or ever? Yeah, I've been on a couple. Um, I was on maybe two last year, the Movement Maestro. Are you familiar with the Movement Maestro? I'm not. No. She's amazing. Definitely one to follow. She's wonderful. Um, And then one other one, I think, maybe at that point. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll have to tune into those as well. Um, And like I said, we're going to tailor this to the SRC community. Um, But with that being said, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Can you just kind of give us, um, you know, what your your elevator pitch typically is and (laughs) and then jump into how you got your start in um, athletics? Yeah, so I'm a physical therapist in Seattle, Washington. I own a practice called Sisu Sports Performance and PT. My focus has been primarily work with female athletes and female runners. Um, gosh, I've been a physical therapist for 10 years and have, I've, you know, over the years, you kind of learn what works and what doesn't work and um, decided that I needed to find a way to help people in a better fashion, um, which is why I started my practice. Um, I've been an athlete for forever, like since I can remember. I started playing soccer when I was really young. I actually like in junior high, I was a state track athlete that went to, you know, I did the mile, I did the 200, I did the high jump. Oh yeah. And then eventually soccer sort of became a priority and I played division one soccer in college. 
So yeah, I've been moving since forever. Yeah. Yeah. It really sounds like it. That's awesome. Um, what made you, what drew you to soccer? I guess I should ask. We have a lot of former soccer players turned runners and vice versa. Yeah. Um, the first time I remember learning about soccer was in second grade and a woman just came in one day during our PE class and like introduced the sport to us. And I fell in love with it right away. I really liked the dynamic nature, um, the running. I loved running. <laughs> and yeah, it just kind of stuck. I don't know why, to tell you the truth. It just, I just fell in love with it. I, I um, you know, after the 99 World Cup, it was kind of like a huge boost to keep me involved in the sport and really inspired me. So yeah. I kept with it. Awesome. Um, So we talk a lot about kind of how our experiences lead to our interests, especially in terms of career. How did your experience in soccer lead to your interest in physical therapy? Yeah, great question. So a very direct correlation. I tore my ACL in high school and that was devastating. Soccer was my identity. It was the only thing that it just like it ran my life. Um, in a very positive way. And when I tore my ACL, it really just put everything on freeze for a good six months at the time. Um, yeah, and it sucked. So <laughs> I went through a lot of rehab and it was around, I, that was junior year. So it was around that time that you start thinking about like what your future is going to be and what your career aspects are and um, kind of what you want in a career. And that turned into something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to help other female athletes who have experienced similar follies in their (laughs) athletic adventures get better and overcome it. Wow. Yeah, that's um, a pretty early time to to figure that all out. Yeah. yeah. Kind of come to that realization. And it looks like there was no turning back. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, so I got accepted So I played soccer at St. Louis University and I got accepted into their uh, direct entry physical therapy program. And that program is kind of like a sped up uh, master. It was a master's program at the time. Um, So I got my master's degree in physical therapy. I think I was 23 years old. Uh, Yeah. So I was young. (laughs) Just went straight through. We won't say how old I am, but I just uh, surpassed that age. So, (laughs) Uh, well, that is a really cool story uh, on how, you know, your experience with your ACL tear led to wanting to, I imagine wanting to help others maybe to, to prevent or recuperate. Um, If you don't mind sharing a little bit about just um, maybe a couple of the lessons that tearing your ACL taught you in terms of, you know, going through this hardship and recovering from that. Yeah. So, you know, looking back on that time, I'm always amazed because now that I'm a physical therapist, we, we put all these rules and boundaries on somebody's post-op ACL experience and journey. Um, and when I look back on my experience, I was very fortunate to have a mother um, who pushed me and not only that, but who really listened to what I wanted in recovery and made it happen for me at that time. So, you know, I had a physical therapist and the first physical therapist I had was like, you're not going to return to sport for six months. And I was like, 
no. <laughs> I'll show you, yeah. <laughs> you don't tell me what to do. It was devastating at the time. Luckily, my mom had the wherewithal to agree with my perspective on what my experience was going to be. So I had to fire my physical therapist. And we ended up moving into working with an athletic trainer um, where I worked with him at the time three days a week to rehab and get strong. And it was really strength focused. And that was in 2001. Um, and by all, by all the research now, they tell us that you won't return to sport after an ACL injury until nine months to a year. At that time, I returned to sport at four months and I was not, you know, probably my most strongest self, but, um, I did it and I didn't retire and I ended up playing in college. And so looking back and being where I am now, I just want to tell people, you know, if you have a goal, find a therapist or a person, athletic trainer, whatever it is, that's going to help you reach your goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really important to know and to share. Yes. Uh, very cool that you're able to come back from that experience and come out even stronger. Um, I do want to just ask very quickly, for those that are confused, what is the difference or the main differences between an athletic trainer and a physical therapist? Or what should runners be looking for in one or the other? You know, there's so much crossover with our professions, and I even have a hard time knowing what the difference is. I think most directly the way that I relate the difference is that athletic trainers do a lot more of the emergent um, on-field type of care. So like, you know, if you're doing a race or something for running, they're going to typically be the ones that are going to be taping you up um, or, you know, providing you with a quick treatment that you can you know, get back to running right away or whatever it is, ruling out some of those sinister conditions immediately. The physical therapist is then going to be the one that's going to kind of take you on your rehab journey and get you back to the athletic trainer. Now there's crossover. Lots of athletic trainers do rehab as well. And that's just going to depend on, you know, where you go for your rehab because there are places that will have athletic trainers on staff and physical therapists on staff and everybody on staff. So it'll just depend, but everybody is great at it. So yeah, no problem yeah. there. Yeah. Um, very quickly while we're on your path, we did have a listener question. Um, what are some tips that you would give someone interested in pursuing physical therapy? Ah, great question. So <clears throat> I think that before you're deciding to go to physical therapy school, What's really important is to ask yourself, is getting a physical therapy degree necessary to achieve what you want to achieve in life? Because now as I reflect on some of that, I think that for me, it was really necessary at the time. And now I'm wondering, was it necessary? I, you know, I do so much performance coaching and um, strength trainings now that I really enjoy as well. Um, so I think you just need to ask yourself those questions. The other thing that I would say is do your best to stay out of student loan debt. Mm, like yeah. do your very best. It, you know, physical therapy is not a profession right now that's seen a lot of growth in terms of financial stuff. So, you know, when you're coming out of school with $150,000 of student loan debt, you need to be able to pay that off. And that is by far the number one biggest stressor on young physical therapists today. Wow. 
Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, I feel like it's one of those common things too that people say, oh yeah, I'm going into physical therapy without even, you know, shadowing someone or figuring it out and feeling out that profession. So um, were you able to do that early on or, you know, what do you recommend in terms of is shadowing a good idea to kind of see if that's for you? Yeah, you know, a lot of schools require you to get shadowing hours before you can even apply or be accepted. Um, Because my program was direct entry, they didn't require any shadowing hours because you got that while you were in school. Um, I kind of had it just based on my own experience in rehab slash physical therapy. Um, But no, I didn't have any hours you know, packed in before I applied to school. Um, yeah. Yeah. But shadowing, shadowing is smart. You know, physical therapists, I think it, that we just, we work everywhere. We're in the hospitals, you know, we're in neuro, we're in outpatient orthopedics, we're in sports, we're, um, you know, we've, they're definitely bringing in more physical therapists into professional athletics. Um, yeah. So we're, we're kind of everywhere. And so, yeah you know, having a good grasp of what that means and what you want is really valuable. Yeah. Um, I want to add in something really quick. So just kind of jumping from where you, right, you went an athlete and you started in physical therapy and now you're this physical therapist. And obviously there was a lot in between. So um, what did your path look like into where you are now? And I want to preface this by saying that um, Dr. Ellie Summers, she owns a business now in Seattle called, I want to say it right, is it Sisu? It's Sisu. Mm-hmm. Sisu Sports Performance and PT, mm-hmm. where you work with female runners and athletes. Yeah. So um, especially I've seen, we're going to get into more running focus, but um, how had your, how has your physical therapy career evolved from just getting out of school to where you are now? Oh gosh, such a good question. <laughs> it's evolved tremendously. Um, I have stayed primarily in outpatient orthopedics and sports the entire time that I've been a physical therapist. But to be to be really honest here, my only goal when I graduated was to pay off my student loans. Mm-hmm. And so that was my priority for years. And then when I paid them off, then, then it was like, great, I have this, you know, it felt like I had this huge weight lifted off my shoulders and I could all of a sudden start to really think about what I actually wanted in my career. And, you know, that, that's really why I started my practice was because I had the permission all of a sudden to move forward and try and help people the way that I know they deserve to be helped. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Um, I like that a lot. Um, and you kind of elaborate, I want you to elaborate a little bit on how they deserve to be helped. So what do you think, uh, you know, like, I just want to dive into that more and, and what does that mean to you? Like how should patients deserve to be helped and how do you, how do you do that through your practice? Yeah, that might get me a little teary. Um, I think so. Uh, give me a second. Yeah, you're okay. I think there's this misconception that um, physical therapists are, when you go to see a physical therapist, they're going to nitpick something about you. They're going to be like, 
we're going to find something about you that isn't right so that you can be fixed. And when I was working, I worked in um, pediatric sports for a little while. When I was working in pediatric sports, it became very apparent to me that that was inappropriate to do, particularly to young girls. And so, you know, then that was the training. And I kind of like, I had to undo a lot of this training that I got in school. Um, but it, it came down to me to finding providers or being a provider that gives people hope, I guess you could say. And I never want to give somebody any body image issues. I never want to um, make comments about their body that put them in a, a greater state of fear. So my job now, my, my mission is really to bring people a clear, transparent view of what to expect from their providers, not only um, from me, but from their other providers, and an idea of how they can actually help themselves get better in a positive way. That may have been a really long-winded answer. I'm trying not, no, to, not, not, not too long at all. <laughs> we love long-winded answers and um, really thank you for sharing that. I think that is so, so nice to hear um, that you really, really care about your patients and about empowering them. And I'm kind of with you. I've noticed that I'm more in the personal training side of things, but some people come to a trainer and it's just, or a dietitian, you know, and it's just what's wrong with their diet or what's wrong with their body. And I really love that you're focused on what is right and how can we, you know, or in a sense focused on the positives and the aspects that you can build up. Yeah. You know, and there's good science that shows that that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And it's just not being practiced in healthcare because when people come to you, they're looking for what's wrong. You know, they're already like, what's wrong with me? And sometimes that's necessary and that's needed. Um, but in musculoskeletal medicine, a lot of the times it's not. And when I say musculoskeletal, I mean muscles, tendons, bones, the type of stuff that I treat now. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of a good segue. We've got a few really good questions. Uh, you know, I would say, or I... I'm trying to figure out, I do want to ask one thing that was not a question we had discussed prior is um, just any myths that you were talking a little bit into misconceptions, but are there any myths particularly relating to running that you often hear that you like to debunk? Uh, yeah, there are plenty. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite one is, you know, well, and this is, I'm going to speak from what I hear my clients say, yeah. and my, what my perception is. And so this is like really geared towards females because that's the majority of the people that I see. Right. Um, but what some of the biggest things that I hear are, um, you know, I have flat feet or pronated feet and, or somebody told me I had flat feet or pronated feet and that's why I have knee pain and that's why I get injured all the time and I need these inserts and la la la. That is, is a myth that flat feet, pronated feet do not cause injury. We know that pretty confidently at this point. Um, running is all about building up tissue capacity. And in my, in my view, what that means is 
doesn't matter what your shape is. It doesn't matter what your body type is. It doesn't matter what structure things are. It's about building capacity and everybody has the ability to do that no matter what. So if I'm looking at like a big myth, the big myth is that your body type is a problem for running. I, it's not, it's just not. I love that. You yeah. bet you just helped debunk that myth. Um, very powerful. Um, and this kind of segues to into a post that you wrote called the three common pitfalls of runners. Mm-hmm. So when we're getting into myths and um, some pitfalls that runners fall into, can you share more about what these three pitfalls are and how runners can prevent or address them? Yeah. So the first one that I touched on was training intensity. And in my practice and the people and runners that I work with, a lot of times they're getting injured because their training intensity is simply too high. And if we get into the weeds on like loading and, um, you know, heart rate zones and all of that business, really it comes down to the fact that a lot of runners spend way too much time training at an intensity that is too high. So what that presents like is just running too fast all the time. And the majority of your runs during the week need to be held around conversational pace to reduce your risk for injury. And that literature and science is pretty solid. Um, There will be variables for every runner that, that might be different week to week. Um, But the first step in reducing your injury risk is to really, you know, try and slow yourself down a little bit and runners don't love to hear that <laughs> but if you're trying to yeah. keep yourself healthy to keep your tissues healthy slowing down is like the best place to start and then you can build yourself up so yeah training intensity was yeah um, really quick on training intensity so I'm kind of a, a nerd with this so what might that look like in terms of a heart rate if you're willing to provide? And also, um, do you focus more on the mileage per week, more on the general heart rate or uh, hours of training? Yeah, so that depends on the person. Uh-huh. It's, it's going to depend also on what they like. Like some summers just love running miles, but mm-hmm. it's both. So Training intensity has to do with volume, which will be like your miles, your time, whatever, and also your um, efforts is what I'm trying to say. And so if, if we're like kind of being very scientific about it, 85, 80 to 85% of your running each week should be at conversation pace which means that that's, if we're talking zones, if we're doing a five zone range, that's gonna be from zone one to about three. The rest, 15% or so, Mm -hmm. can be spent at speeds that are higher than that into lactate threshold and that sort of thing. Um, So that's what I mean, does that help? Oh, definitely. Good to know. I think a lot of people, we can say, oh yeah, I'm at conversation pace, but (laughs) until you really have that gauge, it can be hard to know, um, you know, what that is. Yeah. I use, I I like to use a lot of the times rating of perceived exertion over heart rate zones. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like that is because it accounts for extraneous variables in that athlete's ecosystem. So for example, if you slept 
like crap the night before, what I want my runners to do is have the wherewithal to auto-regulate their workout and just say, hey, I slept like crap. I'm not going to do a shit ton of speed today because I feel crappy. And it increases my risk of injury. I'll take it back a notch, get some of that recovery that my body is telling me I need, and get to the speed training later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very true. Um, all right. So pitfall number two, what yes. do you think that one is? Yeah. Pitfall number two is nutritional intake is too low. And this, this is like social conditioning and cultural conditioning in all kinds of ways. And not all runners have this issue for sure. Um, but I think there's this misconception that in order to be fast, you need to be light. And we know that that is a terrible, terrible idea for pretty much every runner out there. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm not a nutrition expert, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know everything about nutrition. I do not. Um, I have very good resources for that sort of thing. But I do want to say that it is just really important that you're fueling your body appropriately for the loads that you're putting yourself through. And if your training intensity is bumping up, your food needs to be bumping up along with that. Um, And I just think that there's a tendency for women in general to be restrictive in their diets. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just can't have that with runners. There's too many risk factors involved there, can lead to all sorts of things, relative energy deficiency in sport, um, female athlete triad, all of it is not good um, and increases your risk for injury. So. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. We talk a lot about that at SRC and, um, I just love some of the dietitians out there that we have in sport helping to, you know, promote this awareness of red S and, um, adequate nutrition intake. Um, yeah. What else on that one? With young girls in particular, Mm -hmm. you can do so much harm when you're young, if you're restricting when you're young. And we know that if you restrict when you're young and you end up with something like a stress fracture, you're at greater risk of having that later. You're also at greater risk of having things like osteopenia or osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. So like making sure that the diet is in check. Um, And I don't even, maybe diet's the wrong word, just your food intake, the appropriate amount is just so, so invaluable. Yeah. All right. Uh, number three for common pitfalls. Number three, you're not lifting heavy enough. Yeah. So I love this one. <laughs> I, yeah. I do too. This is a, really supports my bias, of course. But um, so another misconception amongst many runners is that heavy lifting will make them big, and big in the running world equates to being slow. If you're running, this isn't going to make you, well, not even if you're running, lifting does not make most people big unless you're very specific about getting big and you're applying a diet that will get you big. So lifting heavy is essential, you know, not body weight exercises, um, very like applied, progressive, resistive strength training. And we know yeah. it does wonders for your performance. It does wonders for your injury risk. It does wonders for just how you feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of these positive things come about from lifting. Yes. Up. Yes. So I take it that that um, strength training, is that something you prescribe to athletes if they seek you out? 
Yes, yes. So that is a big part of what I'm doing now is trying to capture runners that need help with that. And so I program for them and I can program in a lot of different ways, a strength training workout that hopefully fits with their run workout. Um, and of course, if they're, if I'm run coaching them, then I do both. Um, so yeah, yeah, I do a lot of that. It's yeah. I love that. It goes hand in hand um, because I do see athletes where, you know, they have their athletic trainer, they have their PT, they have their strength coach, they have their running coach, and it doesn't always align. Like what the, what the PT thinks they should do doesn't align with what the strength coach thinks they should do. So that's really cool that you're able to combine all of those. Yeah. You know, and it's in, if you're serious about running and you're, you know, really focused and consistent with it, you have to, the, a run coach or anybody who's doing that needs to be able to capture all the training loads that you're per, putting in. And so if you're not communicating that with them because you're working with a trainer over here and you're working with the run coach over here and the physical therapist over here, it's really hard to capture all those loads and they all matter. So for example, if you're, you know, if you're training maybe 25 miles a week with your run coach and then also doing heavy strength training with your strength coach, and they're not communicating, you could end up with in a situation where your loads just all of a sudden are really high one week in both sectors or even just in one, and it puts you at risk for injury in one or the other. And we know that's true. Like loading matters. So, right. Yeah, I'm so, trying to do that holistic picture. Yeah, yeah, that's so <laughs> important. Um, so for an athlete that maybe is just tied into that, like they have these different coaches um, and maybe they're in a collegiate athletic setting, not much control over that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you recommend uh, to just keep everybody on the same page? You know, it's just about communication. That's the biggest one. And whether that's communication between the professionals or communication between the athlete and the professional. Um, You know, most of the time in collegiate situations, I think there is communication going on there, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, in, In my world now, I don't have very many situations where I have a runner working too much with somebody that I don't understand. And, um, it's all about communicating the right things mm-hmm. at those moments. So, and making sure the communication with my athlete is really, um, solid, I guess you could say, and trusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, all right. So we'll get into a little bit of, we talked strength training, but I'd like to dive a little deeper into that. And the most vital components that you think are important for recovering from or preventing and recovering from injury. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think strength training and recovery are the top on my list for sure. And when I say strength training, we're talking about heavy loading, uh, to improve your tissue capacity, improve your power, improve your speed, um, all kinds of positive things go on with strength training. Recover, yeah. Do you have a, I raised my hand, no one else can see, uh, <laughs> although they can hear now, but do you have any favorite lifts? I love to nerd out on strength training, so. Yeah, uh, so I love the front squat um, with a barbell. That, you know, that's maybe not like the most perfectly applied lift for a runner, Um, running is a single leg activity. You need to be doing single leg lifts, but the front squat to me embodies 
all these athletic movements in one one fell swoop. Um, so to me, the front squat is my favorite. If we start to get running specific, um, I do apply that lift to pretty much all of my runners in some capacity. I think it's really valuable that a runner know how to front squat. Um, the second thing that I'm going to be putting on runners strength programs is going to either be a step up or step down or a rear foot elevated split squat. And those, those are, are very running specific types of lifts, um, that will challenge all of the right muscles. <laughs> all of your muscles are right anyway, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing those. Love it. Yeah. Um, and I guess this will be one more question. How important do you think, um, upper body programming is into a running program? Oh, it's essential. I, yeah. I program all of my runners are going to get upper body strength, uh, in some capacity, and that'll depend on some of their goals as well. You know, in a really practical point, it's it, strength training is meant to improve your muscles ability to be used, right? When you run, you're still using your upper body. Um, yeah, you're not like pushing on anybody, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's important to do it all, um, to have a very holistic look at certainly, certainly uh, ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. All right. So diving into recovery, cause that can look like, is that sleep? Is that, uh, foam rolling, what, what is, how do you define recovery and what components do you think are essential for that, that piece of the puzzle? Recovery looks like everything. So to me, it's sleep, it's proper nutrition, it's water. Um, it can be auto-regulating a workout to be easier for you if you're not feeling good that day. And, um, my friend, Lindsay Plass, she's a physical therapist in Chicago. She had a great metaphor that really stuck with me. It had to do with your bank and you have a bank, like a, you know, a bank, you have withdrawals and deposits into that bank. To me, recovery is any sort of deposit you put into that bank to help with your withdrawals and build up your savings. So for runners, you know, that a lot of the time your races are going to be withdrawals things things that kind of stress your system would be those withdrawals anything that's putting deposits into the bank is going to be re your recovery in my eyes so i even reference sometimes joy especially with injured athletes it's important that you're seeking out ways to fulfill your life when you're injured if if your identity is running and you get injured and you can't run for a period of time it can be devastating. Yeah. And so finding ways in your recovery while you rehab to like lift your spirit and fill in light into your life. Um, to me, recovery sort of encompasses all of your life. I yeah. love that. I really, really, um, like that statement. And we talk a lot at strong runner chicks about being more than a runner or more than an athlete and just be, being able to see yourself that way, because if you grew up and this is all, you know, and running has been your identity for 10 plus years, yeah. you know, even a few years, it's just your foundation. And it's so important to be able to move past that and see that there's more to life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So um, you also wrote, and and I want you to just speak to this, um, we had a listener that reached out just wanting some general advice or words of wisdom you would give them on recovering from injury. Yeah. So don't let it scare you. Um, pain, pain and injury, I know, are can be really frightening and really threatening to your identity, to your life. Um, it's important to acknowledge that. I have not been in a situation where I think that you, people can't overcome it. I've, I've never met a single person that I've met that can't overcome their situation. And in my view now, so Sisu, the name of my business, it's a Finnish term. It stands for hardiness and grit and the ability to overcome obstacles in the face of adversity. And part of the reason I picked that was because I'm working with people who are injured. And I think that inner fortitude needs, people sometimes need help seeing it, but adversity will make you better. It almost always does. Um, it teaches you something. It'll make you a smarter runner in some capacity. I almost guarantee it. Um, and quite possibly make you a better runner. So don't let it scare you. You'll recover. You will adapt. Um, things heal. All of it. So, yeah. 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 That's really um, good words of wisdom. So on that, on those notes, um, when looking back on your younger years when you recovered, is there any additional advice you'd give to your younger self? Yeah. Yeah. I thought about this one. This one was tough because I think it's the same advice I'd give myself now, <laughs> but don't dim your light for the comfort of others. Give yourself permission to be exactly who you are and who you want to be. That is what I would say. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. And I still uh, say that to myself now. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, sometimes the advice we give is most often what we need to hear. Right? Yeah. So, I love that. Um, all right. So normally we ask, what does being a strong runner chick mean to you? But what is just, what is being strong or that term strong empowerment? What does that mean or look like to you? Yeah. That was a really, really hard question for me because it means a lot of different things. What I think of personally for myself is um, being able to lift myself up when I'm down and get up and get going again. And, um, you know, strength comes in all sorts of forms, but I feel um, not as strong when I'm in the dark. So that's why I talked about the light, like being able to get myself up and show even myself the light that makes me feel strong. Um, that makes me more able to do all the things that I want to be able to lift heavy things and feel strong and powerful. So that's what it means to me. And, and having Sisu, right? Yes. And having <laughs> Sisu. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. I'm glad you told us what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're kind of getting to the end here. I want to ask if there's any special shout outs or topics that we haven't addressed that you feel are important. No, you know, I think that First of all, you guys are doing such an awesome job with your podcast. Um, it appears that you're getting really good information from people and getting the right people. Um, I'm just really grateful to be on here. Uh, no special shout outs except maybe to my husband, Elliot, who supports me and <laughs> gives me the space that I need to 
be big and be bold and be brave. Um, so thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you so, so much for being on. Um, and then if listeners would like to reach out to you to connect or to find out about the services you offer, how can they do so? Yeah, so you can email me. I love getting emails from people. Ellie at Sisu Seattle, S-I-S-U, Seattle.com. Um, you can also find me on my website, which is Sisu, S-I-S-U, PerformancePT.com, Instagram at Dr. Ellie Summers. And those are the main ways. Those would be the best ways. Feel free to DM me, whatever you need. Happy okay. to be a resource. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Ellie. Um, I know that the information you provided in this episode is going to go a long way and probably result in uh, quite a few runners reaching out for further, you know, contact information and services. So thank you again so, so much. We really appreciate it and um, would love to have you on the show in the future. So yeah, thanks again. Thank you so yeah. much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Strong Runner Chicks, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of SRC Radio. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and um, tune into the next one. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.